The Spectator combines incisive political analysis with books and arts reviews of unrivaled authority. Subscribe today for just £12 and receive a 12-week subscription in print and online, and get a £20 Amazon gift voucher absolutely free. Go to spectator.co.uk slash summer. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots. I'm James Heald. I'm joined today by Katie Balls and Fraser Nelson. Now, Katie, the big news today, of course, are reports that Rishi Sunak is planning on watering down some of the UK's commitments to net zero by 2030. Uh, You wrote on Coffee House today that this could include delaying a ban on the sale of new petrol and diesel cars and phasing out gas boilers. Tell us what the story is all about. So this was initially reported by the BBC and it relates to a speech that Rishi Sunak has been planning to give this week, could now actually be brought forward, I think, by a day or two, in which he will talk about net zero. Now, the speech is meant to see Rishi Sunak say, you know, I'm very committed to 2050. I am still, you know, dedicated to net zero and the environment, but I'm going to make a few changes to loosen some of our commitments in order not to punish voters, not to punish the public and costs. And that's where we get to what you just mentioned, which is, as I understand it, the petrol car ban, moving it from 2030 to 2035, and also boilers, um, reducing how you phase out gas boilers to make the timings uh, you know, looser, more stretched out. Now, the boiler ban was always an ambition, so I think the government do have a fair amount of wriggle room there. And also even on the car ban and moving the date, I think that is the most probably dramatic of the two measures. If you look at the response so far from the car industry, Ford being very critical, saying if this happens, it's uncertainty, it's bad for business and complaining. But ministers think they can do this without having to have a vote in the Commons. Now, that is just as well. And let's see if they can do that, because the Tory party is very divided on net zero. And uh, you have a situation where I think probably, particularly MPs in the red wall, thinking about the costs, do you question the speed of transition? And you have the net zero scrutiny group. But the net zero scrutiny group is a much smaller group than the Conservative Environment Network mm. group. And that is a group that tends to be much more pro net zero. And we've got to divide this up here. You know, Claire Catino, the new energy secretary, was a member of the Conservative Environment Network. She, her face is on the famous alumni part of the website. So, you know, you can be in that group and be quite pragmatic on how you do net zero. Then you, of course, on one end have people like Zach Goldsmith, who's already come out to say, uh, you know, this is a, you know, a dark moment for the country. But of course, Zach Goldsmith quit as a minister in the department and has also said he might vote Labour. So I think when you listen to what Chris Skidmore, for example, or Zach Goldsmith said, they're probably on quite an extreme end Mm. of Tory thinking and I think what would be interesting when we hear more from Rishi Sunak which could come as early as today is where does the the main you know part of the party go and are people like for example Claire Catino former member of the Whips office able to say you know we are still quite committed because what Rishi Sunak is trying to do here is a careful balancing act by which trying to say we are effectively the case he will make is that if you look at where the UK is, we are ahead of lots of other countries. Um, we can still hit the 2050 target, but we're doing these measures just in terms of the cost to the public right now. And actually other countries need to step up and then you go further. So it's trying to say, yes, pro uh, tackling climate change, but also really thinking about cost of living obviously the risk to Rishi Sunak is that it becomes a narrative which is less about being pragmatic uh, you know net zero net pragmatic and more uh, you know he doesn't you know 
being depicted as someone who is ditching net zero. And that's when I think some Tory MPs will start to get nervous um, that that could backfire. Okay, so the speech was meant to be for Friday. News of it leaked out. Leaving that aside, Fraser, why is Rishi Sunak considering this now going into the conference season? He has to work out what his pitch to the country is going to be. And I think he senses the debates coming his way. He was always a sceptic about net zero, not because he's not environmentalist, but he didn't, it wasn't costed. If you want to sum up Rishi Sunak's personal politics, I describe them as trade-offism. If you want to do X, it will cost you Y. Is this a good trade-off willing to make? The polar opposite of this is Boris Johnson's cakeism, having cake and eating it. So it's funny in a way that those two were a team. This drove Rishi Sunak mad, having to write check after check for reasons, for on a business case he thought was never thought out and not politically deliverable. Now, of course, he's prime minister, so we can come back on some of those decisions. We can see HS2, for example, which he was very much against. Uh, now he's trying to moderate that. We can now, um, and on, of course, the 2030 a petrol car ban, is something which was a classic example of the pain it would have inflicted in ordinary households, forcing them effectively to buy more expensive cars than they'd otherwise afford to, was not worth the environmental gain. It was a trade-off. And this calculation has been made throughout Europe. We can see similar debates in Germany, in Netherlands, in Poland, in Sweden. So Britain is just coming in line with our fellow Europeans in thinking that this 2030 petrol car ban was simply a bridge too far. At the time it was made, it seemed to a long, long way away. And never did they really work out, well, in 2030, how much is your average electric car going to cost? How will that compare to what it would otherwise cost? Is it fair of us to ask people who couldn't ordinarily afford a Tesla to make that jump? And how can we win an election if we're going to basically ban them from buying the things that would make their life easier in the middle of a cost of living crisis? So I think whoever was in power would have to row back this 2030. Keir Starmer, if he were to be elected, would probably take away this pledge as well. We had Gary Smith, the head of the GMB trade union, give quite an influential interview to Kate Andrews in the current edition of The Spectator, where he was saying that in this way the, the green agenda has decimated, in his words, working class communities, both by failing to deliver the, the green jobs to him, green jobs are mainly in London PR and, as he put it, counting dead birds around wind turbines. He doesn't feel they've delivered on industrial basis. He also thinks that the green agenda has contributed too much um, pain to the cost of living pressures, including what he regards as a poll tax of £170 a year on energy bills that is paid by everybody, rich or poor. So you can see this whole thing gathering steam. Now, I remember writing a leader for The Spectator a few months ago saying that um, I imagined that Labour might actually beat the Conservatives in moderating its position on the environment. Uh, We are talking, by the way, about moderation. This isn't a choice between the dark green climate alarmism or climate denialism. There's a middle ground here, which I call bright green. This is focusing on on tech, on progress, and I think we can hear that from Rishi Sunak soon. He will be pointing out that the Britain which is softening its 2030 target is also a Britain which has made more progress than any G20 country in reducing its, its carbon emissions over the last two decades. And even if you include what we import, we've made the second greatest progress. We now use, I think, 28% less energy in the average household. In way after way after way, Britain is becoming cleaner and greener. And we've done it without forcing the poor out of the sky or off the roads. So would you really need 
to to go forward and, and make life so much more difficult for the people whose votes you're asking for. It wasn't democratically viable for either the Labour Party or the Conservative Party. And Sunak, to answer your original question, sees this as part of his theme of um, telling hard truths, of coming up with um, green pragmatism, which he would contrast to the net zero utopianism by the likes of Theresa May, who never ever worked out how much it would cost and how she could possibly sell this to an electorate to who the bill would eventually be passed. And Katie, this is also about making out those, those red lines with Labour, isn't it? Trying to find dividing issues ahead of the next election. Yes, it is. And I think... We obviously see lots of these things through the prism of the Uxbridge by-election, ultimately where the Tories held on narrowly to the seat um, by about 400 votes. You had a situation in which that campaign was very focused on ultra-low emission zones and you saw, despite the polls and the Tories being very far behind, a result that took many by surprise, including some in the Labour Party, that didn't do much at all in terms of expectation management. It led to a long debate over the summer about net zero and I think it's been quite clear, something I've read about, that we are shaping up to this autumn battle on the issue between the two parties. But I think... To be fair to Rishi Sunak, this isn't all his team looking at Uxbridge and thinking, oh, now we'll do something on net zero. I think his scepticism about the cost of net zero date back to his time as Chancellor. If you think about the way some of the stuff was you know, signed over, Philip Hammond, that fight he had with Theresa May when she wanted it as a legacy to the 2050 commitment. And you know, he was warning, well, this is going to cost you know, a trillion pounds and, and don't we need to talk about that? And to Fraser's point, Rishi Sunak being very about trade-offs, I think, has been alarmed that some of these costs coming up the track have not been properly thought through, scrutinised or debated. And therefore, this this is a consistent theme. I do think, though, Uxbridge has brought it into sharp focus. So you now have a situation by which, definitely over the summer, Downing Street aides were talking more about what they could do on this. So there's probably a bit of both going on. How are Labour going to respond? Labour, clearly after Uxbridge, turned on Sadiq Khan and saw you know, Ulez is something that they, they're they saying we shouldn't do this in certain areas because it can be used against us. On net zero, I think Labour do see it quite different to air pollution. So mindful of the costs, for sure. You saw, obviously, the £28 billion, uh, green energy pledge watered down by Rachel Reeves earlier this year due to the rising costs. But I think they are committed to net zero and actually see an opportunity to attack the Tories and some of this stuff. So over the summer, the fact that debate was playing out, I think that Labour want to fight this on the economy. So what you will hear from Rachel Reeves and the Shadow Treasury is that the Tories are anti-growth. Mm. A, fr- a phrase sometimes used by Liz Truss, anti-growth because their policy is deterring investment. So they will try and argue it, not in terms, I think, of a, a moral argument, so much as trying to make it all about the economy. So the case being, well, you know, look at these businesses that don't know how to, how to make investment decisions because of uncertainty on net zero. You're creating problems for the economy that way. But there's still an interesting question for Labour, which is, you know, are they going to say they stick to that 2030 car target, Um, you know, when it comes to these things that do affect uh, voters in terms of costs. But we are now getting that quite dividing line, I think, on net zero, which is Labour will say the Tories are doing things that are bad for the economy, and the Tories will say Labour are things that are doing that bad for voters in a cost of living crisis. I've been looking at the Labour response, actually, and it, a bit like Rwanda, they, they don't want to come across as being against this because ultimately they're in the same position. Uh, the public support the Rwanda policy, so Labour doesn't, doesn't say it's against it, it just says, look, this is a bad way of going about it, but the overall 
overall aim that they basically support. Now, so far, they've said quite rightly that it is a shambles, that the Conservatives should announce this 2030 target, ask an industry to align behind it, and then change their mind and make it 2035. It is a shambles. But would Labour bring a 2030 target? I suspect we're not going to hear Keir Starmer saying he would reverse this. So they will be... um, blowing a raspberry, as they're richly entitled to, in the face of this quite significant U-turn from the Conservatives. But I think that both these parties are quite keen to win the so-called red wall voters, and therefore neither of them are going to be reviving the kind of 27-era net zero. So we can see now, I think, this a great moderation taking place away from net zero and towards what you might call net practical, net sensible or in my preferred language, bright green, tech-focused, optimistic future. Thank you, Fraser. Thank you, Katie. And thank you for listening to Coffee House Shots.